0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. All right, guys. Morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, if you would, go ahead, grab your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 is where we're going to be. If you need one, there should be one tucked into a chair nearby. Uh, we love the Bible here, and if you don't have one, we'd love for you to take that also in the back, there are some study, uh, what are they called? Uh, ESV study journal. Oh, you got it behind me. A scripture journal. Uh, and those are in the back. Five bucks if you got it. If you don't, just take it. We just want you to have God's word. It's a really cool way to work through the book of the Bible that we as a church are working through. So I'm going to pray for us. But before I do, I've got to tell you this story or at least the beginning of this story. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you guys a picture, but before I do, I, I just want you to play this game out in your head. I think we've all done this in some class or conversation or get-to-know-you game. What one item in your home would you take with you if you knew that you were about to lose everything? What one thing would you take? All right, don't answer and don't tell people. Um, but I just want you to start thinking because I want to show you this picture. Bruno, if you'll go ahead. And throw that up OK, so that is a picture. Now, I don't know everyone in it, um, but the lady in the middle holding the balloon. is Jasmine in here? Is she held She's She serve? OK, so, so this lady right here is Maggie Robinson. That is Jasmine's cousin. This was one of her cousins who lost her life in the storm uh, two weeks ago. Um, here's the amazing thing about this story. This picture, in all likelihood, is not one that you would grab and hold on to. Uh, Like, if there was one thing to keep, it's probably not a picture of a birthday party. It it probably has something that has a little more sentimental value. But I want to tell you why I I want us to hold on to this image in our head and think about what it is that we hold on to. So the storm came through two weeks ago. Is my math correct? Two Sundays ago, is that correct? Um, And two Sundays ago tornado comes through a number of people lose uh tons of valuables tons of trees down but jasmine's family in particular were hit really really hard as they had a number of people lose life well wesley tyus has a, a little property on the other side on the far side of harris county and he's walking through his property after the storm just to see what's going on and wesley walks up on this picture now, let, let me just explain why that should amaze you. This, the home that Maggie lived in was over 50 miles away from where Wesley's property is. Not only that, if the picture was all that landed there, then it would have just been a picture. But we also found this. There's so, uh, right next to it were some, oh, not that one. Skip to the next one. Were scraps of Bible pages as well as some other documents that had Maggie's name written on it, which means that for fifty-one miles on top of a tornado, God carried this picture and some other clippings from where? Uh, what city was Maggie in? in Beauregard, Beauregard, Alabama. All the way 51 miles and drops them in this little package that Wesley finds 51 miles away. Now, there's something else that Wesley found, but I want to wait to show you what that was. But it it blows me away. Um, The the last scripture that we're going to read this morning is verse 17 of chapter 2. And it says this, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, abides, remains, stays forever. So let me just tell you, this is communication, don't do, okay? Let me tell you where we're going to end. I'm going to end by reading a scripture that basically says that as beautiful as this is and as stable and sturdy as this world seems, it's all passing away, and just as Maggie was living life and doing life, as well as other family members, many of you and, some, uh, and, and many friends of yours were doing life two weeks ago, not even knowing the storm that was going to come. What do you hold fast to? I'm going to pray Hebrews 10 over us. Go ahead and close your eyes. Father, your word tells us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. To hold fast to the confession that Jesus is your son. That Jesus is the way, the only way. And not only is he the way, he is the propitiation. He is propped up in the place of sinners to bear the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. But even more than that, we hold fast to not only has our sin, if we repent of it, been covered in the cross. But the righteousness, the good stuff that was Christ is then applied to us as well. In this scandal switch of things that don't make sense outside of the mind of an exceedingly, infinitely loving God. And so, Father, I pray that we would, as your word says, hold fast to the confession of our hope in Christ. Because your word goes on to say, for he who promised is faithful. So, God, I I pray that you will be what I know that you are, have been, and always will be, which is faithful. I pray for those in this room who need encouragement, that you would be faithful. I pray for those in this room who need a fresh hope, that you would be faithful. I pray for those in this room who are doing life and everything is going well, that they would remember that all good gifts come from our Father because He is faithful. God, this is your time. And so we just pray that our hearts, minds, soul, energy, strength, focus, attention to everything would be yours. These next few minutes, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let's read together, starting in verse seven of chapter two in First John. And and by the way, that is not the Gospel of John. You got to go all the way to the back. All right, your Revelation, First John chapter two, verse seven. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, if you look, if you're looking in your Bible, go ahead and look down, not up. It'll be more helpful. You'll notice that from verse seven to verse 17, we have three different sections and they really do play out like a little Oreo cookie. In section number one, there's this recognition that darkness seems to dominate. And then when we get to the last section, it seems like evil keeps winning. But in the middle of these two sections is this beautiful verse 12 to 14. You can look down. I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. Because you know him who is from the beginning. So in between this message and really this world where it seems like why does darkness win so much? Why does evil keep popping up? Just like in Oreo, the good stuff's in the middle. And in the middle, we have this message of the love of God. Now, if I can get everybody's eyes for just a minute. I grew up in the church and I know how this plays out. When we start talking about love at church the word has become this amorphous blob of eye-glossing material where we're just like, yes, love. And we look like real creepy people in a movie. Well, what we're talking about when we talk about love is the thing that put Jesus on the cross. So, so whatever your mental picture is of love, you know, whether it's cupids and hearts or whatever it is, Let's, let's just take our cultural understanding of love and slam it into scripture and recognize that love is good and love is fluffy and love is wonderful, but it's also sacrificial and it's also hard and there's also bloodshed and tears and sweat. Like love is a real thing. It is a gritty thing and it is a beautiful thing, but it is not what our culture tells us that it is. Now, one of the things I love about John is when he's writing this, did you notice he said, hey guys, I'm writing you no new commandment. But an old one that you've heard. And then he goes back and he's like, well, it is sort of new, right? Like, have you, have you ever had somebody talk to you like that? Look, 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 here's the deal. Nothing new. You've heard this before. Well, I do have this little thing that I want to add to it. What is John doing? Well, when he says, I'm writing you no new commandment, what he's saying is, I'm not undoing anything that you already know. So this is what they would have known. Leviticus 9, 19, 18. Can you throw that up for me? I just realized I didn't pull it up yet. Never mind. Got it. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, love your neighbor as yourself, like we figure that out pretty quick, right? This is very old out of Leviticus. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is gritty love with all your soul, and with all of your might. So love, a sacrificial love, a love that prioritizes things, is not new. But what is happening here is that John is saying love is not new, but there is something new about love that you need to know. Do you see the difference in that? Love is not new. The concept is not new. God is love, has been love from the beginning. Uh, 1 John 4a, anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love. Love is not new, but there's something that we need to do different with love. Matthew 5:43 puts it this way. Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I just read that to you from Leviticus. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain. Trent, I loved your prayer this morning. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, again, that was Leviticus. That's Deuteronomy. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? In other words... Non-God-fearing people do this. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, let me explain why I think this is cool. It's cool because Jesus said it. But in addition to that, if you're in this room and you are not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. This is not a Christian club, and I know these people. And just so you know, there's not a one of them that deserved becoming a Christian. Me neither. Okay? None of us deserved it. But what, what we read that Jesus is telling us is the very race we played before we understood grace. It was, here's a bunch of good people. Seems like good things happen to good people uh, when they die, right? Doesn't even matter what religion you believe in. If you're good, good things. If you're bad, bad things. And so they're like, okay, well, I'm going to do good. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to love that person. And Jesus steps into the scene and he says, time out. Don't you realize you're doing what everybody else in the world does? It's not hard to love somebody who loves you. It's not hard to be in love with someone who's in love with you. Let's talk about what it looks like to love somebody who hates your guts. Let's talk about what it looks like to love somebody who jumps you in the locker room. Let's talk about what it looks like to love somebody who blackmails you or who does whatever else, who just wants to see you fail at your job, who somehow derives pleasure from whatever in your life is going wrong. How about we love those people because if love is something that we should do and all people would agree doing good is good, then shouldn't we do it better than most? Do you see the argument that's being made there? But it goes deeper because in John 13, we read, Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the distinguishing factor. It's the wet banditness of being a Christian. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys know? I'm all right, okay. Like when we leave a house, it should be dripping with our presence. Now the wet bandits, they used it all in the wrong way. But what Jesus is saying is, Christians should have a calling card. And that calling card should be, when we leave a place, it should be better for us being there. It should be dripping with the love of God. Love isn't new, but Jesus showed a new way of love When he lived a life that glorified God. When he lived a life that, this has been the one that's been kicking my tail all week. Writing sermons is not hard for me anymore. I shouldn't say that. Like, all of a sudden, God's just going to be like, and you'll never do it well again. Uh, But that's not God. Um, But I've put in my 10,000 hours, right? Like, the writing of the sermon is not the hard part. The hard part is on Wednesday when I look at the sermon and I go, Man, I got to start living different if I'm going to preach this thing, right? And, and like, I, I started looking at And this was the one that really slammed into me. Jesus shows a new way of love when he prioritized his family and his friends and his neighbors. When he gave them the time of day, when he was eye to eye with them. Jesus showed a new way of love when he shows consideration and concern even for his enemies when he gives his life so that the unworthy could be made worthy. Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. But let me tone, let me check my tone for a minute, because if you check out the scripture, the whole thing's encouraging. So if in me saying that, you're feeling a ton of conviction. I, I, good, Holy Spirit, awesome. I'm glad you're feeling conviction. But really this whole message should be an encouragement to us. If we're supposed to, just think about it strategically. If we're supposed to love our enemy, not deal with them or put up with them or have a little space where our patience meter is okay. And as long as we get away before we explode, I have love. No, like we legitimately love them. First Corinthians 13. 13, Bruno, you got a slide for that? So if this is what love is, patient, kind, doesn't envy or boast, isn't arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way, isn't irritable or resentful, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, and it goes on and on and on. If that's what love is, who should that be applied to in your life that maybe it isn't? Let's go a step further because what God's word is telling us is if we're supposed to love our enemy like that, what should your love look like for the person next to you right now? For your brother. Have you thought about that? Kwame, you call me brother every now and then, right? Like that's your culture, right? Brother Brother, Will, okay? the Why? Because what Kwame is recognizing when he does that is that we're a part of a family that is bought with blood, but it's not our DNA blood, it's the blood of Christ. And we have come into a family that lasts longer than any family here. So what I'm trying to build for us is an argument that says this. If Jesus says this is how we're supposed to love our enemy, how should our love for one another look? How patient should we be With one another. And just so you know, this is like training ground for loving one another. When you're putting bubbles in a bubble machine and none of them work, and you're like, why am I even filling up a dumb bubble machine? Like, Jesus didn't need bubbles. Why do we need bubbles? Right? Like, or a million other things. I don't know. The donkey's been chill lately, and I appreciate that. But, like, there are a million things. I was sitting in a chair and there was a little bit of chicken poo. I don't even know how that happens. Like, it's closed, but the chickens are like, we will find a way, right? Like, what is this? There are a million ways to give ourselves excuses for not loving each other like brothers and sisters. But I really think this is the training ground that God is putting us through so that we would be a church that isn't a building of people, right? Like, I don't care about a church that has a steeple on the top. I care about people who have a cross on the inside written on their heart. That's what the church is and 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 I think that's what God is walking us through. This is my favorite part. Look down into uh verse 12. I'm just going to read the first line. Love is not a yes to everything. All right? Listen to this. I'm writing to you little children, I'm writing to you fathers, I'm writing to you young men. Do y'all see what I'm doing? I'm just taking the first line of each one. I'm writing to you little children, I'm writing to you fathers, I'm writing to you young men. I'm writing to you children, I'm writing to you fathers, I'm writing to you young men. What what's happening here is that God is writing in his word that scholars go back and forth on this, whether it's how long you've been walking with the Lord or how far you are in your sanctification, All of this encouragement that is about to come is all-encompassing for anyone who calls Jesus king. And he's about to lay it out for us. But before he does, just remember this, love is not a yes to everything. A lot of times love is a no. Um, when, When I say no to other women, that is the right thing. That is a loving thing for my wife. A yes to my wife is a no to everyone else. A yes to your major is a no to every other major. A yes to to being called into missional work is a no to a lot of comforts. And Jesus shows this when he walks around. Simpkins, where are y'all at? The fact that y'all could get three kids at one time, holy moly, I feel like we should have a group praying in the background right now. Because I was thinking about Jesus and how much love he put on display for a dude like Peter, who's impetuous. And he's like, hey, I've got this new idea. Hey, hey, hey. And you know, Jesus at some point just had to be like, dude, chill. And he never does it. In fact, the only time he calls him Satan once, but he deserved to be called Satan, right? Love says no sometimes. When Peter's like, I've got a better plan than God's. And Jesus is like, no, no, that's not good. You, you got to think about like, James and John, who were all about themselves. Hey, Jesus, uh, when this whole kingdom comes, what do you say we get chair one and chair two? And Jesus is like, I just told you I'm about to die. And they're like, "Mm mm-hmm, so chair one and chair two. So what we're thinking. I I just explained the Lord's Supper. People are going to do this for the rest of eternity. My body is going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be shed for you. And then like moments later, the whole table is just like, no, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And Jesus just has to be like, are you kidding me? Jesus was like a single parent with 12 boys. It's ridiculous (laughs) to think about. But he gave every one of them his love and his attention And I I would also just say this, when we think about our culture's view on love, it is a yes to everything. Brian, can you throw up those three words? So I I don't know if you know these words, pluralism, syncretism, and universalism, but if you've ever seen a tolerant or coexist bumper sticker on the back of a car, you know, in a sense, what it's saying. What does our world say? Our world says pluralism, there's more than one way. Hey, mate. Jesus is your way, but my way is this. And if you're loving, if you're tolerant, if you're caring, then you'll at least head nod or not press in against that. Drop down number three, universalism. Every way has merit. For you, it's this. For you, it's this. For you, it's this. But always have some merit as long as we're striving for something that is good and loving and caring. Syncretism, we read about all through the Old Testament when God said, Do not intermarry. And it wasn't really a race thing. It was a culture thing because God knew his children were easily led astray, that they were very prone to wander. And so he looks at him, he says, look, if you start marrying with this other culture, you're gonna start grabbing some of their beliefs and grabbing some of your beliefs and slamming them together in a blender. And that's what syncretism is. By the way, this is the one you're probably most prone to. I'm gonna take a little bit of this. And I've got my Christianity. I've got my Christianity. I've got my conservatism. I've got my Christianity and I've got my politics. I've got my Christianity. I've got the way that I do this, the way that I do that. There's no room on the throne for anything except for Jesus. Everything else has to fall underneath it. And the reason I bring this up is because the enemy who wants to destroy you is not going to destroy you by telling you to hate people. He's going to tell you that you're already good enough. He's going to tell you you're already loving, that you're already deserving. Consider the fact that he lost the frontal attack. He thought he had the best shot. There Jesus is in the flesh. And here he comes and he tempts him. Okay, that doesn't work. We're just going to go hardcore. Let's get some soldiers. Let's get some people to lie. Let's get some people to betray. And we're going to put this guy up on a cross and he kills the king. He kills the captain and he dies. But then, all Contra Code style, he pops back from the dead. And the devil's like, well, now what am I supposed to do? Death doesn't work. Nothing's going to work. So what does our enemy do? He gets real sneaky. 1 Peter 5 eight, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, by the way, that's the Hebrew word for devil. That your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 2 Corinthians 4. In their case, the God of this world, that's talking about our enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. So what's he doing? He's prowling. What's he doing? He's blinding. It doesn't talk about killing or destroying the question. This goes back to the punching bag, I think, last week. As long as we're swinging, we know we're in the fight. When we throw in the towel, that's when we ought to get real scared because here's the thing, sin's not going to quit, not in this life, but sin does have a shelf life. The question is, does your pursuit of God? If your pursuit of God has a shelf life, I'll follow Jesus to here and no further. Yeah, we should be scared. But if your pursuit of Christ has no shelf life, the good news is that sin does. So I want to jump back to those verses. I don't want to go negative because that's not what this scripture is. Verse 12, I'm writing to you little children, fathers, young men. If you're a believer, I have all-encompassing encouragement for you. Check this out. The darkness is passing away. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you. Because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you. Because you know the father. Verse 14. I'm writing to you. Because you know him. Who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you. Because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do you see what's amazing about that? John's not writing. To fix something. He's writing To point out what has already been fixed in the life of the believer. So many of us walk into church and we're like, okay, I need to get beat up a little bit. And then I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a good... I got a little bad news for you. I don't have any punches to throw. I I hit you guys with sin as hard as I could the past two weeks. Because that's what God's word had as we worked through it. Do you know what God's word has for you this morning? Encouragement. Tons and tons of encouragement. That if you're a Christian from old to young, if you have just started your walk with him, or if you've been walking with him for decades, the way John writes is you are, you know, you have. I'm not writing to fix something that's broken, but to show you what's been fixed. I don't know if you remember, but I, I told you I had another picture that I wanted to show you. Brunner, will you? Will you throw this up? So in that pile of things that Luke Wolf found, and I think has given to Jasmine today, this is by far the coolest thing. Now, the fact that God would carry in a storm 51.1 miles, atop a tornado, a few scraps of paper, and land them in a place where a brother in Christ would find them ought to be enough but the fact that he would do it at the time when we're working through first john this was a little scrap of journaling that he found now you can't read the whole thing you can't make it up but here's what i love about this uh it's august of 1997 so we're looking at 20 something years ago and what's written on the journal page at the very beginning is thank you lord I can't help, but I I told Avery when she showed me this stuff, I said, emotionally, I don't know how to feel. I'm not real good with emotion. I'm like a baby when it comes to my emotions anyway. Um, I just don't feel stuff right. But when I I was like, should I be encouraged or like crying? I don't know what to do with this. Like, I just know it's big. I don't know what to do about it. I just know it's big. 20 years before a tornado would take her life, And the life of other family members. She wrote on a scrap of paper. Thank you Lord. And God carried it and dropped it in the backyard of a brother. In Christ. Who would be with a family member. But that's not even my favorite part. My favorite part. Is when it says. Lord have kept. And you brought what I'm assuming is me. Because when I read verses 12 through 14. What I read is. God, you have, God, you are, God, you know. And not only that, this is being written from the perspective of the Christian. It's the Christian writing these journal pages. It's us saying, God, I'm not finished. I'm a sinner and there's a bunch of mess still left for you to deal with. But here's what I know, you have done this. And in me, I know, and I have, and I am. I love the fact. That she wrote, Lord, you have kept. I have no clue what God kept. But I know that he kept. He held something firm for her. I I love the fact that it said, Lord, you brought me. I don't know what he brought her to or what he brought her from. But I know that he brought this little scrap with a couple of pieces of Bible. With a picture. With a couple of legal documents that had her name on it. So that we could lump it all together and we could say, It doesn't all make sense to me, but here's what I know. God loves his children. His ways are above our ways and his thoughts are beyond our thoughts, but he loves his children. So if you're not a believer in this place this morning, I don't have some huge... I just want you to know you're missing out on knowing a God who is absolutely incredible. You're missing out on knowing a God whose love is immeasurable. You're missing out on knowing a God who has known every one of your steps, every one of your breaths, every one of your days, and he loves his kids. What do you hold on to? And John tells us what we should hold on to. Let me give you three things I think will encourage you throughout the week and maybe some time to come. Some things to hold on to. Number one, God's immeasurable love for you. The, the fact that we could never grasp or conceive of how big his love is. If you look in verse eight, it was one of the first things I read. It said, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Be encouraged, Christian. Even though you walk through darkness, it is fading away. Just like when we get here, it is like uber dark, and now the sun is cooking those of you on left side the, just like the sun rises every day it's an evidence of god's grace that the sun will rise on the grand meta narrative of human history and that christ will reign over it that he is in control when we read job that prowling lion that blinding adversary has to ask permission because god says this far and no farther know the immeasurable love of god for you and the promise christian that darkness is passing away and light is shining number two god's immutable work for you now immutable is not a word that we use a lot it's a theological word and it basically means i mean it's really easy you've got a mute button on your tv right pretend it never worked again and the tv was god God cannot be silenced. He cannot be stopped. What he says will come, will come. It it is set. It is steadfast. It will be. That's what immutable means. God's immutable work in you. Now, here's what we don't do well a lot of times as Christians. We don't think about the positive. And I get it, I want to be more like Jesus. If I want to be more like Jesus, I got to find the things that aren't like Jesus and I got to start working on those things. But take a minute and look at where you are like Jesus today that you weren't 10 years ago. Think about where you are in your walk with Christ, in your marriage, in your schooling, in your singleness, in your job, in whatever it is. Think about where you are that you were not five years ago. That is the immutable, the unstoppable, the definitely will happen Work of God, and that's what He's laying out because you are this. What is it that you are that you weren't? Because you know this. How has God rewritten truth in your heart? You used to believe lies, but now you believe in this particular truth because you have. And it's probably not stuff. What do you have that you never even appreciated years ago? It, my, my wife, um, she does this little Ebenezer jar. So whenever something big happens in our, our family life, she gets a Sharpie out and finds a rock, which is easy because our kids think they're really fun to just collect and leave it everywhere. And dad does the lawnmower and they fly out and kill little animals and things like that. And so she, she'll grab a Sharpie and a rock and she's like, this amazing thing happened on this day. And then it goes in this little jar. And every time we walk past it, we have this little collection of God's goodness to us. Don't just journal your failures. Journal the things that God has done in you. If you're fighting, what muscles have grown? If you're running, what landmarks have you passed? If you're producing fruit, who's been satisfied? Who's been encouraged or sustained just by your life overlapping with theirs? Always remind yourself of God's goodness. And then finally, Jesus's imitable love. By the way, that is a word. I had to look it up. I really wanted to go Southern Baptist and get a bunch of eyes. So God's immeasurable, God's immutable, God's imitable. It means imitatable, but that apparently is not a word. So imitable basically means what are the things that you can imitate in someone else? How do we live the way Jesus lived? Remember John 13, 35, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, this is the stuff that really messed me up on Wednesday. Um, Eat with those who cost you social capital. It doesn't matter if it's in the lunchroom or the boardroom. It doesn't matter if you're hanging out at work, at home, in a homeschool group with a bunch of ladies going shopping. Do you circle up with the same people? Is your circle a closed loop? Is there room for other people to come in? Are you reaching out to others? I just use the lunchroom because I remember what it was like to go and try to sit down with a table of people you didn't know. And it's like, I would much rather die than have to do this right now. And I think somehow we never grow out of that. It's like we're all perpetually walking with our little lunch trays and our carton of milk. Like, who wants to be my friend? And and the Bible's like, you got brothers and sisters everywhere. Just go say, hey, tell them you love Jesus. Move on from there. Eat with those. Do life with those. Who will cost you social capital? Jesus hung out with all sorts of folks that did not make him look better, but his love for them. Was different. Be humble. Wash feet. That's probably not going to play out in our culture like it did in theirs. But what dirty jobs are beneath you? Uh, I I don't really know how to illustrate this one really well. Um, I usually run my illustrations past my wife. She fell asleep a little early, and so I don't have a really good one. But I, I like it. Might just be picking up trash. It might be being the guy who never changes a diaper. And then all of a sudden you change a diaper and your wife is like, he got saved. I just know it. (laughs) I don't know how that plays out for you. But what is something that you consider beneath you? Do it. I'm just telling you, Christ Christ coming was beneath him. Him living with a bunch of morons for three years, was beneath him. Him washing their feet was way, way, way beneath him. And him saying, I'm going to give my life. And them saying, yes, but where do I get to sit in heaven? Way, way beneath him. But he did it because he loved them. Move slowly. Gap out your calendar. Put some margin in your life so that you're not just going from one thing to the next. And there's actually room for the Holy Spirit to do stuff in you, to you, or through you. I'd be willing to bet if you're a Christian, and that's what these encouragements are, Christian encouragements. I'd be willing to bet that you would agree that Jesus had a more important job than you. And he managed to pray, and he managed to be present with the people around him. That's what's been busting me up all week. When my kid's like, hey, dad, come here. I want to show you this stick. And I'm like, I don't want to say, see. I've seen sticks. Right? Dad, oh, this was, this was the one. <laughs> so... Ames and Tigner are like, hey, dad, come watch us play on the trampoline. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Did not know it was going to be a thing. 20 minutes, every second. Hey, dad, watch this trick. Hey, dad, watch this trick. Buddy, I'm like, here, I am watching every, but it didn't matter. Like, they wanted my attention. They wanted my eyes so much that after he tried to do a backflip and just went, like, that was a whole trick. He landed, he was like, let me show you another one. And I'm like, they're getting better, right? Like maybe put a performance together and then call me out. But like, how busted is that of me as a dad? And I'm telling you, we walk through the world like we are way more important than the people around us. That's the truth. Every one of us thinks we're more important than whatever else is going on around us. That is the thing that Jesus did so different than us. He was more important than everything around him. And he treated them like they were more important. He gently rebuked and he gently corrected. If you're not a believer, those things can be yours. Every one of these promises, and it's not complicated. Jesus made it pretty simple. Repent and believe. Repent means ask forgiveness. That happens pretty quick. God, forgive me of my sins. I've done wrong. I ask that you would forgive me. But believe, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of choosing to continue fighting, continue running, continue producing. If you need to pray, I'll be back there in just a couple of minutes. I'd love to pray with you. A couple other people will be there as well. So Christian, I'm just grabbing words out of what I've already read. Love. Recognize that you are strong in Christ, that darkness is passing. Little children, both young and old, you already know, you already are, you already have, because from the beginning, the light has been shining. Sin has been being forgiven so that we do not stumble through this life so long as God's word abides in us. This is true in Christ, and he calls every one of us an overcomer. So, is our last scripture. Verse 16, 15, so do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away. Along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God. Abides forever. Don't love the world. Why? Verse 16. It is a lesser pleasure. All good gifts comes from, come from our, our God in heaven. James 1.17. But bigger than that. This world seems permanent. It seems stable. And then a tornado rips through your life. And potentially ends your life. A tornado takes every one of your possessions and everything that you hold valuable and it scatters it amidst a world that itself is passing away. But I know this, holding on to Jesus is holding on to the one who can take a few scraps of paper and make them ride atop a tornado over 50 miles, place them in just the right backyard at just the right time So that we would realize that not only is God in control, but he loves his children. Let's pray. Father, I just, I think about the song that we're about to worship you with. I think about all of the encouragement that you give us. That John isn't writing saying you got to get all this stuff fixed. He's saying, Christian, you already are, you already have, you already know. God, would you give us confidence in the message of your love amidst a fleeting age and a temporal and fading world? Would you help us hold onto you? Father, to this we hold how strange and divine that we could sing that all is mine, yet not us, but through Christ in us. To this we hold, our shepherd will defend us through the deepest valley he will lead The night has been won and we shall overcome, yet not us, but Christ in us. Thank you for your son.